0: You're listening to the best possible taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by the Taste.ie, voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. Good
1: evening. You're very welcome to this week's Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan and guests on tonight's show include a Cork-born Texas resident ambassador for the real Ireland, two chefs, one with a Michelin star and one with a passion for all things Italian. And if you're a new or existing food business or you've won in the pipeline, branding is an area that you've explored or might be looking at. And Tricia Sullivan from Innovate Limerick has details about an event in November that will be perfect for you. If at any point you'd like to get in touch with me here at the show, you can drop me an email to s.noonan at live.ie or you can tweet me at queenoforg as in queen of organisation. So, my first guest tonight comes from Cork and now lives in Texas. Rachel Gaffney arranges once in a lifetime trips for travellers to Ireland, and I had a chat with her on her most recent visit to do some research. Bon appetit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Rachel, you're very welcome home. Is it right to say home, even though you've been in Texas for how many years now? It'll be twenty-one years in February. What do you miss most about Ireland whenever you're in Texas?
2: Oh my gosh, I don't know where to start. Uh, food, food, and definitely the food. Not the weather. Um, I do. I miss the. Uh, I miss being able to breathe. Okay. So freely, I Just love the, the fresh air. air. I love it. Love it. Love it. I miss the sea air. What's the climate like in Dallas at the moment? Well, as you probably know, we've had some pretty horrendous rain and flooding over there. Uh, we've just come out of, you know, well, we haven't come out of it. We've Harvey, you know, Hurricane Harvey hit Houston, which is just about three hours south of me because I live in Dallas. But uh, when I left last week, it was still in the high 90s, low 100s, you know, so it's that it can be an oppressive heat, you know. Um, but then our winter, such that it is, is also very beautiful. So, you know, let's put it this way, uh I have to keep a cedar closet in my house. And the cedar closet is for the clothes that I have when I come back to Ireland to stop the moths from eating it. So
1: Because they don't get an airing at all in No, I don't
2: get to use them. You know, I've got wool coats that I keep promising that I'm going to wear one of these days. So I have to go to New York sometimes just to wear the coat.
1: <laughs> you're home at the moment because you're doing some research for your business. Tell us about what it is you do every day over in Texas to promote Ireland.
2: OK, well... Um, Firstly, I do a lot through my website, uh, which is uh, Rachel Gaffney's Real Ireland. Um, And that came about, as you mentioned, how long have I been living in Texas? I've been living in Texas since 1996. But really and truly, it came from uh, living in the United States. People's perception of Ireland and the Ireland that I know um, were so completely at odds with each other. So the green beer, the bacon, the cabbage, St. Patrick's Day, you know, the usual... Um, it was funny and then it wasn't funny anymore. Um, and I thought, you know, why is it? Why do I not go into William sonoma or Nordstrom or the shops that I would shop in as a US consumer, mother, wife living there? And I don't see any Irish products, really great Irish products, whether it's fashion or a breadboard, I don't see them. And um, also the same with the travel, you know, people's idea of where to travel to in Ireland and the reasons for traveling, um, it, it was there was a huge disconnect. So that's when I started my business back in 2002. And it's developed now into different facets. So I have a travel side of my business. I have a speaking side, which I do presentations all over Texas, Louisiana, Houston. I'm sorry, Houston's in Texas, but you must, the contiguous states like New Mexico, Colorado, um, Arkansas, Oklahoma. And I'll talk about Ireland and explain to people you know, show them my Ireland, if you like, through audio and visual. And I have a big one booked now for March of next year for a a huge women's club in Dallas. So probably presenting to about 400 women who uh, so I will create a presentation on the country through my eyes and use some uh, I'll use a lot of visuals. And I don't mean just photos and slides, but I'll actually have product. So I might set a table or do a tablescape or something. And from there, then people start realizing, okay, there is way more to Ireland. And, um, I, then I arrange the travel for them. And so the trips I do, the word bespoke, I think can be used very loosely nowadays. You know, everything is bespoke or customized and, um, I really, really do bespoke customized trips because when I meet my client, I get a fair idea. Pretty quickly, who they are and what they need before they even realise what it is that they need when they come to Ireland.
1: And you'd be sending them to some of the top places in Ireland. For example, Nevin Maguire and yourself are great pals, I believe. <laughs> I
2: love Nevin. I met Nevin so long ago, and I know this is not news to anybody in Ireland. I mean, I just think Nevin is the, one of the nicest human beings you could meet, anyway. Um, he treats everybody with such kindness and grace, and um, I can't say this enough, people buy people, and I buy people. Um, You can have a wonderful property, you can have wonderful food, and if the service and the people aren't any good, I'm not sending my clients there. And so that's what I do when I go around Ireland, I'm looking for places. Um, I'll give you an example you mentioned, Nevin. Um, I did a culinary tour in April 2015, and I brought 10 people from Dallas uh, for seven days. And we had a driver and we went up to Cavan and we went to stay with Nevin. Now, we didn't stay with him personally, like I'm sure his wife wouldn't want that. But we did stay in McNeen House in Black Lion. And we had we sat at the captain's table and Nevin cooked dinner for everybody. And he's just so funny and engaging and they loved that. And then the next morning we did the cooking school with him. And he really did focus on for us, um, as they say in states, produce, Irish produce. Um, whether it was the rapeseed oils from Donegal or whether it was from, you know, the Irish Atlantic sea salt or now the uh, the other one, Ackill Island sea salt, which I absolutely adore, by the way. Um, and so he will talk about each product and, and how he uses it in the cooking. And that's what they want. I mean, some of these women couldn't boil water to be honest with you or some of them have their own chefs in their house two in particular on that trip had their own personal chefs they won't go home now and be cooking anything but it's not about that it's about the experience about understanding the provenance of the food and the people and the stories that go with it so we went from there across to Sligo and we went to Mullaghmore with my good friend Prani Rotigan you know the author of the Irish Seaweed Kitchen yes and we had a picnic in the rocks there Uh, they went out foraging on the on the beach and Moore, learned about the seaweed and she had you know some Connemara peat whiskey for them all on the beach and I just had the best time and um, I'm going to do it again in April of next year a few different places this time I'm actually going to Ballywalter Park
1: in County Down, up in the north.
2: Yes, up there with Lord and Lady Dunleath. Fabulous. You out yeah, and
1: Lady Dunleath is, I'm sure Lord Dunleath is equally interesting, but she's a bit of a food historian. She
2: is, yeah. A lady. she's Danish actually. Um, I believe she's a food historian for the BBC as well. And uh, when we go in April, my group, um, we are actually going to stay with them for the night. Have dinner with them.
1: That's a very exclusive opportunity. I'd imagine that's not something that you can book directly on a day-to-day basis.
2: Well, I think they—they they, no, they hire out. Ballywalter, Walter will. You—you you can book it. Maybe a, a company might take the place, a property, or you. You book the whole property. So, yes, I've booked the whole property for the night.
1: I have to ask, of course, uh, being from the north myself, Yeah. do you go to the north much, a part of your tours, or do you direct people to the north much?
2: Actually, I do. Um, I'm starting to go up north more myself. But, uh, look, if I won't stay there, I'm not putting you there.
1: So you, you've been to everywhere and you've eaten everywhere that you recommend.
2: Uh, 100%. And if I haven't been there... Um, And somebody wants to go there, you know, some people might know a place by name or reputation and I will tell them up front, look, if you want to go there, no problem. If That's really where you want to go. I just need you to know I have not visited there. So we are just going by what you know or their website. Um, But that's my disclaimer up front. It has to be. And going back to what you're saying about the north, um, I don't lead the trips very often. Um, I am doing one next week around Ireland with a group from Texas, and I'm doing one next April. But 99.9% of the time, they all go by themselves. I arrange the trips for people, um, anywhere from two people to maybe 12. That's the largest size I do. I don't do um, you know, big bus tours and that that's just not my niche. Um, and it's people who are coming to me because They don't want to go online. They know they have all of the things available, but they just don't want to do it. They want somebody to tell them where to go and all of the kind of hidden gems or secret places. And I am finding, every time I meet a client, there's something different about them that I uncover that they don't realize themselves. So for example, about two years ago, I did a trip for some people and they are politicians in DC and very, very interested in the history of American and Irish politics and discovered more about their family and their lineage so I actually sent them up to Artara um house and um right it, one of the uh signers of the declaration of independence was raised there so they stayed there and they went to the museum down the road and you know so uh, the reason when I'm driving around Ireland um I, I stop Um, I spend some time on my own walking around the town or looking for signs or buildings or antique shops or it could be a church with something and you never know when you're going to need it and then I have it filed away.
1: You're a tourist in your own, in your home country, your native country, which a lot of people don't do or don't take the time out to do, so it must be... A very pleasant experience to do that.
2: It's beyond exciting I, I I just love it like for example today I'm going to head off up, up to Glynn and visit Glynn Castle and I'm going to work my way back around to Mallow uh, this evening. I'm going to go uh, visit Longville House um, which is another wonderful property um, and spend some time in North Cork. I'm actually looking over the next week or so to develop a lot more business in Cork County and Limerick.
1: And you are a Cork woman, we should highlight that because I think (laughs) a lot of the tourists, they come to Dublin and they think that's it, but there is so much outside the capital and being from Cork, I mean, I, I love to promote Northern Ireland and West Limerick because that's where I live and that's where I'm from. But being from Cork, there must be so many areas there that you want to push and promote to people as well.
2: Well, I that, but not just because I'm from Cork. Sometimes I actually think it's the other way around. People think, you know, you're a Cork woman, you should be pushing Cork more. Um, I seem to have some sort of draw to Sligo, Cavan, Longford, Monaghan. I believe there are counties in Ireland that what I consider, and please don't take this the wrong way, the forgotten counties. And I mean forgotten as in we can... We can rest on our laurels and and market the wild Atlantic way. We can market Kerry. We can market Dublin and Cork and West Cork. And I would continue to do that. But the centre, the Midlands of the country is so rich in history and culture that may not appeal to maybe an Irish person. But you, you can't think like an Irish person. You can't think of somebody who's born and raised in Cork or born and raised in Waterford or born and raised in Roscommon. I'm not doing the trip for you. I'm doing the trip from somebody from the United States who is second or third generation or what's more interesting, people who don't have any Irish ancestry, but they just want the, they might want to learn more about literature or they might be collectors of yarns and and wool, believe it or not, um, and all sorts of, of things like that. So I need to know. And I will give you an example. I have a lady who just returned to Dallas two days ago and she had never been to Ireland and her grandmother's family were all from Longford and Cavan. And she came to me and she said, I went to a travel agent in the States and told them I needed to go to Ireland and I wanted to go to Longford and Cavan. And she didn't know the first thing about Longford and Cavan. And she said, somebody from Dallas who had gone to Ireland through you recommended you to me. And when she came to me and said, do you know anything about Cavan? I had to laugh because you already mentioned Never, but I, I have this thing for Cavan. I don't know what it is. It's another one of these forgotten places. I mean, you—the Burren Geo Park and Lockouter and the castle—and I mean, there's so much up in Cavan. Farnham Estate. You got Richard Corrigan now. You know, up there with the Virginia Park Lodge, which is incredible. Um, and then, of course, uh, Nevin's Place and Black Lion, and just those alone in that place. And if you ever drive around the Cavan, the county of Cavan. You know, I've even done fishing there. I went uh, fly fishing in Lake Annerley with a guide. It was just fantastic. Just things I would never have thought of doing before. And fly fishing was so much fun. And then Longford, of course, you got Viewmont House there, which is just magnificent. So she went there and I had a driver for her and she stayed in all those properties. Then she went on to Belfast. I had her in the Merchant Hotel. And then back down to Dublin and uh, she stayed in the Fitzwilliam. And most of my clients will stay in the Shelburne, the Merion the Westbury, you know, those places. And one of the properties that I absolutely love, it's one of my personal favourites actually now, is down in Wicklow. And that's uh, Brook Lodge in McCredden Village. I'm sure you know about that. Place. And they're
1: very famous for their foraging type activity and
2: everything there and being organic. Oh, listen, uh, that place is heaven on earth to me. I actually just did a complete a honeymoon for a couple from Oklahoma and they stayed in Brook Lodge for two nights. Um, when I know the different people and the different properties and I let them know, you know, I've got a honeymoon coming in and they do things like give them an upgrade or they welcome them and send them a glass of champagne or a bottle of champagne and, and single them out because it's their anniversary, you know, that Irish hospitality is invaluable because I should show you that card, that thank you card says this trip was just wow, we can't thank you enough. How special it was. They actually stayed in the Dunraven arms as well. Uh, they loved that. And then they went down to um, Park Missilla and spent some time there. Um, I have more ladies from Dallas coming in this week in Tennessee, and they're going to Ballymaloe House, Brook Lodge, Longville and then the park. And then, of course, I'm sending them up to Limerick. And they're going to stay in that lovely Georgian part of Limerick, number one, Perry Square.
1: Fabulous hotel. yeah. They're
2: just wonderful there. And there's so much to see around Limerick. And uh...
1: You know, you're such a fantastic ambassador for <laughs> Ireland and you write regularly then for Georgina Campbell, if people want to keep in touch with what you're up to, they can read your column there.
2: Yes, thank you. I do. I write for Georgina in her wisdom. She allows me to write for her. So <laughs> but I write a monthly column. It's called Rachel Gaffney's letter from Texas. So it's kind of the perspective of maybe um, I, I don't write anything negative. Um, and the reason I don't is it's very simple. I will check out certain properties of places in Ireland, and if I have a bad experience, I don't write about it, I just don't use it, and I don't recommend it. And let me tell you, I've had some bad ones. And the bad experiences, I will tell you, it's always a service issue. It may, you can have a gorgeous property, you can develop a lot of, uh, you can spend a lot of time and resources on developing the food and the menu. But if I can, not you know, if the bartenders are rude or the people checking you in are rude or you can't get help with your luggage, I'm not sending my clients there. Period. End of story.
1: Well, I hope we're getting better at that and I hope you don't experience too much of that very whenever rarely, you're, whenever you're home very, now.
2: very rarely, very rarely. There's just something about Irish hospitality that I hope we never lose because I don't think we will. I think it's in our DNA anyway, but Irish people are just so interesting. Every time I come home, I realize you know, you can get it into a taxi in Dublin and the guy can tell you the history of the city. It's just phenomenal.
1: Well, enjoy your time at home. Thank it's great you. to talk to you and best of luck with the research.
2: Okay, thank you. I'm looking.
0: You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by the Taste.ie, Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. Oh.
1: Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan. And just before the break, Rachel Gaffney, who is from Cork but living in Texas, was setting a great example to us by being a tourist in Ireland. And like everyone who meets him, had a great word for the lovely Nevin Maguire. If you're just tuning in, you can catch up on Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 9am. And the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com, as well as iTunes and the podcast app. And it's it's also on the ts.ie website, voted Ireland's best online digital food and drink magazine. Still to come tonight, I'm in Galway talking to Michelin star chef Enda McAvoy and Tricia Sullivan from Innovate Limerick has details about a branding workshop designed to help food businesses. Next, though, we're going all Godfather-like-ish and heading to Limerick to meet someone I can only describe as an Italian food hero. His passion for making Italian dishes using a combination of the best Irish and Italian ingredients is truly infectious. He's always on the go, but I caught up with him for a quick coffee in his restaurant in the George Boutique Hotel in Limerick City. Say ciao to Vincenzo. Cheers. Chin
2: chin.
0: Salut. Schleinter.
1: Vincenzo, it's lovely to have a little cup of coffee here with you. It's a pleasure
3: Sharon, welcome back.
1: (laughs) It's been a long time, too long I'd say.
3: Oh yeah, two years. Oh,
1: you're counting? (laughs) Yeah,
3: Almost two, you know, from when we start up. Time go fast when you have fun.
1: And the last time I was here was with the Wine Theatre, which was an amazing experience. Just remind us what the Wine Theatre is. Oh yes,
3: our famous tour of Italy. Uh, We had a break for summer and now it's back now. Uh, It's the best of Italy to our people in Limerick. Uh, three super wines that we pick from our premium select premium collection, and uh, different starters such antipasti board: prosciutto salame, bresaola, cheeses all imported by us, Taleggio, Gorgonzola, olives, cerignola, beautiful bruschettas, arancini, caprese salad done with buffalo mozzarella from Caserta with olive oil. And then after we move to our famous Napoli pizza, three different kind of pizza, and one pick from our guests on social media as we give the opportunity, everybody limit, to create their own pizza and mix with our ingredient in the kitchen. We love that because we can see what people like it. And lots of fun, you know, it's one hour and a half immersed in Italian culture. But at the same time, it's fun, you know. We do a few jokes, we do some, uh, some um, team player uh, jokes, you know. And that's blend all together, and uh, people love it coming in every Wednesday night to have this experience with us.
1: And you also do on a Wednesday night, Wine Down Wednesday. Yes. that sounds very interesting. Yeah,
3: we work that together because we found that people here love love wine, and we want to give the, we want to give something back to all our guests. On Wine Down Wednesday, we have 20% off on any premium wine. For example, you can come here have a wine from our business class and pay us a house wine on that night. And it's something uh, that people appreciate, we already started one month ago very well, and it we hook well with wine theater to create that wine environment. Because as everybody a many centuries ago, the Greeks say the wine is a nectar of the gods. You see, it's very healthy. So, you know, it's the best alcohol drink you can have. It. And we want to bring this year in Limerick.
1: Whenever people come to the restaurant, what is the most popular dish that you
3: have here? Oh here, because I'm from Napoli, is a pizza. And the pizza here is not just a pizza, it's a Napoli pizza, it's made by hand. Using tomato San Marzano DOP, buffalo mozzarella, olive oil made by hand. And now on the on the summer we launch the new revolution on the pizza world in Ireland pizza by the meter. Pizza. You can
1: pizza by the meter. By the meter. How you does that
3: work? <laughs> as well, you me a party your four or five. You say, I want half a meter pizza, and you pick your topping. Or we we have a sun selection as well. And you share. And you have fun. It's the new socialized experience.
1: So it's a big long, long pizza. pizza and yeah. It's not
3: round. No, no, it's a, long. <laughs> unless long, it's one of the yeah. big rounders. served on a big wood. Uh, with the sha- yes, shovel yeah. you say in English. Sorry for my English. <laughs> we shall come on the middle of the table and you pick and you pulling, you know, it's already cut. And you have fun with your friend. Everybody can create his own topic, you know. Maybe a four of you we can do two, two different flavors, margarita, capriccioso, all vegetarian, uh, with the frierle broccoli, or white pizza that's getting very famous in Limerick. Uh, we to do some more and then you have fun and you enjoy. Because uh, now Danny experience not only sit down and eat, is to have fun, enjoyment, you know.
1: And tell me you're doing some different pizzas for the Pictoin Festival.
3: Oh yes, we are trying to hook your famous limerick ham a uh, bacon with our ingredient. We're working on, actually we have on the social media we have uh, create your own pizza. We'll appreciate everybody, give a few recipes that you wish to see them in and then we make sure that they are on the menu.
1: Do you use a lot of Irish ingredients in oh, the restaurant?
3: S- certainly. I use the best of Ireland, the best of Italy. That's the concept of Da Vincenzo. I buy from Italy what you don't produce. But the rest is all Irish. Your beautiful cream, the vegetable, the butter, the goat cheese from Claire, that is amazing. You know, your beautiful Irish beef, the chicken, the seafood, is all locally sourced. And then from Italy, I import myself, together with the Mocha food, and you find us on the side the milk market. I buy the olive oil, the ravello balsamico, the gragnano pasta, the artisan pasta with eggs from Diamante, uh, my beautiful prosciutto, salame, bresano, all things that you know produce in Ireland. And like, like this everybody's happy, you know?
1: And you're there in the milk market every Saturday selling some bits and pieces?
3: Yes, uh, I try to be there from the morning, but uh, usually you will see me after 10.30 on the peak hour because, you know, I need to run at the restaurant as well. Carmine and Monica are down there. that you get a sample of the product that you can purchase to take home because Da Vinciane's concept is everything you eat here you can take home or do home yourself as well because we want to be part of your, we want to be part of the lifestyle of the people in Ireland.
1: If somebody asked for your advice about an Italian dish to make, that they would maybe never made an Italian dish before from scratch, what would you suggest they start off with?
3: I recommend to start with a nice pasta al pomodoro, very, very simple. Extra virgin olive oil on the pan, garlic, let them brown, Get some nice tomato DOP or some chopped tomato, if you have even fresh tomato, put on the pan. Let's cook slowly, maybe half an hour, 45 minutes, depending how much you will do it. Get a little bit of hot water, salt on the hot water. Get a nice penne pasta, get something nice, you know, like a granano, like diamante. Uh, let's cook for six minutes, I don't say seven. You put it off, saute on the sauce, take a little bit of, keep some, wa- some water from the pasta. That you would boil in the pasta, I don't know. That's it. parmesan cheese and voila.
1: I read on, on the internet recently a friend that had gone for a cookery lesson in Italy and they had discovered that it's garlic or onions never garlic and onions together is that a regional rule in italy or is that an italian rule you don't put garlic you see, and onions in italy together.
3: the rules are a little bit complicated because in italy we have 21 region 20 dialect the only really italian is spoken in florence and many centuries ago we had the same background as ireland when italy was unified after all the the domain from different countries you know, the guy unified Italy said it was so simple to make it, Italy, it would be impossible to make Italian. Each region has different recipe. You, for example, in Napoli, you don't mix garlic with onions. My mother will, will, will get upset with me. So, you know, But some, some place, they use it, you know. Uh, some of the schools, like Toscana for example, you don't. You know, it's different background, you know. North of Italy, uh, like Trentino, Alto Adige, Lombardia, small more, more German style. Piemonte, Liguria, more French, you can see more cream south uh toscany middle way south of italy is more mediterranean spanish you know and then you don't really mix so much things very simple you know
1: so in the same way that limerick is famous for its for its limerick ham different parts of italy are, are famous for different, different products yeah
3: you see pizza from napoli tomato from napoli uh, north of italy you have your parmigiano from reggio emilia Tuscany, you have a beautiful wine you have your beautiful pecorino as well sardinia the same Piemonte fantastic for dessert. There is a castle there that there is a school, they come from all over the world to study. Uh, you see, each region has its own best. And I import product from each different region. The best from the best town.
1: And obviously, all your recipes then you put them up on to Facebook so that people can, can get yes, them. Yes, actually lately them.
3: in the last few months we started together with Jacinta, our marketing manager, is a great advisor. Uh, we started picture the special with the description that is the recipe at the end and uh, for every weekend and that has a booming people love it people love to see then also we give some recipe you can see online uh some of the famous newspaper in ireland they asked me uh the famous arancini that everybody was when they were reading on the menu rice bowl but what it is people love it they're everywhere now
1: yeah it's fabulous they it's got so popular now the last yeah. three years
3: they love it yeah. what's your favorite italian wine um I love them all, but if I need to pick one, I date my wife in Vancouver with a bottle of Amarone. Really? And they did the job. I have two girls in the house both here, she's from Cape Town, I meet on the cruise ship. He did the job. For that, that's my favourite heart. Bottle of wine.
1: And tell us about it, about its origins and its flavors.
3: Okay, Amarone is one of the flag of Italian wine. It's from the north of Italy, Veneto. It's done with Rondinella, Morinare, Corvina. It's a full body wine, a DOCG denomination origin check guaranteed from the government. Only 21 wine in Italy we have. Every day they update more. It's done with a passimento system. A passimento system is when the grapes go inside the winery and they don't crash straight away. The grapes go in the bamboo bed for at least a month and they shrink, you can see that they get more tannin. And then the wine is pressed, the juice goes in, uh, bottle uh, is going to go on the stainless steel tank, then hock barrel, And it's a wine that, the eh, holder uh, 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 it is, better it is. It's fantastic red wine. We have it and especially on the Wednesday night, we one down Wednesday, people come because here at Da Vinci we serve also by the glass.
1: And what does it go well with in terms of food? What oh, um, dish do you
3: recommend? I recommend a beautiful Irish beef, nice fillet steak, or oh, a nice bolognese or lasagna done with Irish beef. Tomato sauce, go impeccable with that, amazing. A pizza with the tomato sauce because red sauce with wine go very well, you know, the acidity, all the component match beautiful. A nice antipasto board, or oh, a nice a night time. now that it's winter's coming, by the fireplace with a lovely cheese you enjoy with your half with your half-love, with your love, you know, it's fantastic. I
1: know it's very unusual to pick the wine first and then the food to go with it, but it's maybe not a bad way to go sometimes.
3: Sometimes, sometimes not, you see, nowadays the world has changed. There's no white wine with the fish, red wine with the meat. What do you like? it? At the end of the day, what's a good wine and what do you prefer? Sometimes I like to have a bottle, a glass of wine from a bottle of five years when I'm at home. It doesn't matter how much cost. costs, so you need to love it, you know. At the end of the day, what do you like? You know? <laughs>
1: Well, before we finish up now, you were part of the Pigtown Urban Food Fest a few weeks ago. What were you selling on your stall well, It was that a night? great
3: experience. We had some nice uh, pizza there uh, with your beautiful ham, bacon. We did some pasta as well. Carmen and Monica was there. Uh, we were so busy around the town that I had to run back to the restaurant. I was there for uh, half an hour, 45 minutes, but there were some beautiful stands. It was a great team and it was fantastic. You
1: know. so you like being part of the events down in the milk market
3: oh yes. yes milk market is a very important part of limerick I think the people meet there socialize this uh, share feedback share idea but limerick at its own literally has improved so much with this event and that's the way to go like for example last weekend we have a carnival, we had we have um, the movie on the people park and we some other things coming and that's the way to go bring more people around Limerick town with this event and advertise them. Then. There is some advertising that they are free, like social media. Just blast it out and people will come. Because Limerick, like an old person told me when I bought house here, he said, the capital is Dublin. Dublin is Cork was, Limerick will be. is the way to go. That's what they said now. That, did I say right? Absolutely. Because my English sometimes...
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, on that note, I was just going to say you're a brilliant ambassador for Limerick and it's great to have a taste of Italy here in the centre of the city. So
3: thanks very much for having the it's coffee. It's a pleasure it to talk to you and thank you everybody. Uh, see you soon. Ciao.
0: You're listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by the Taste.ie, Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine.
1: Welcome back to The Best Possible Taste. I'm Sharon Noonan. Just before the break, I was talking to Limerick's unofficial Italian food ambassador, Vincenzo. And all that talk about wine is making me itch to hear from our resident wine guru, Ron Forrestal. And hopefully Ron will be in the studio next week. So we'll have that to look forward to. If you're just tuning in, you can catch up on Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM when it's repeated on Wednesday mornings at 9am. And the podcasts are available to listen to on SharonNoonan.com, as well as iTunes and the podcast app. And it's also on the teas.ie website, voted Ireland's best online digital food and drink magazine. Now, last week, the focus here on the show was on Galway and it is a city blessed with not one but two Michelin star restaurants. If you tuned in last week, you would have heard Jacinta Dalton talking to J.P. McMahon from the Michelin star Aneer. Well, And McAvoy is the chef owner of the other Michelin star restaurant in the city and I met him in Loam on a recent visit.
0: Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm.
1: And it's great to be here in Loam in Galway, a beautiful Michelin star restaurant. And I think it's fair to say you took the scenic route to Galway. You started out in Cavan. You're a Cavan man.
4: Uh, yeah, pr- proud Cavan man, of course.
1: On route to Galway, you spent some time in Germany. You were a kitchen porter in Germany at 17 years of age.
4: Yeah, yeah. I started, um, I got a sort of a summer job as a. A kitchen porter. I followed some friends over to Germany and uh, I got a job as a kitchen porter and I, then I stayed in the kitchen. I worked uh, for a year there, worked through different sections and uh, I quite enjoyed working in kitchens. So
1: was that a kind of a summer job that you went over for initially? Um, or did you have a bit of a draw to the kitchen before that? Well I'd done,
4: I'd, I'd done a year in university and it was a summer job and I ended up staying for like a year in Germany and um, then I came back and went back to university then after that.
1: You studied um, at Maynoth?
4: I did uh, a degree in English and Sociology.
1: So it's very unusual to come across somebody that has a degree like that and then goes into the kitchen to it's, be a chef.
4: It's more usual than you'd imagine. Um, you hide you,
1: it very well, you yeah. keep it quiet. <laughs> this, is,
4: this is humanities degrees for you though, <laughs> <out there. laughs> they, they qualify you to do an awful lot of things, you know.
1: And is that because you were encouraged oh. to go and get a degree? where you brought up like you must go to you go to national school you go to secondary school and you go and get go to college and just do anything just go to college
4: Um, no I mean I was never the sort of person that could be to do anything <laughs> I always do the opposite like but um, I wanted to I wanted to get a degree, I wanted to go to university. I liked the idea of going to university and just I didn't know what I wanted to do. So like I mean I studied uh, maths and chemistry for the first year in Maynooth and then I thought that wasn't for me and uh, I didn't want to do sciences anymore and then I went off and worked in the kitchen and I thought I enjoyed that but uh, I wanted to go back and uh, try out in sociology. Sociology um, I like the idea of that, I still do. You know, I'd like to, I wouldn't mind coming back and doing a master's actually, but uh, a, lot of, it, a lot of things in sociology appeal to me, you know.
1: And after university then, you spent some time abroad, you've, you've worked in different places yeah. overseas, including Noma in Denmark.
4: Yeah, yeah, well, um, Noma was, uh, I went to do a stage for three months um, after I was working in a restaurant here in Galway. Uh, called Sheridan's in the docks and um, that closed down and uh, I needed something to do so I got in touch with the people in Noma and said I'll come over and work for a little while and I went over for three months.
1: And what did you learn there? Did it really inspire you moving um, forward?
4: Well I've been following their progress for a while and um, I had eaten there previously as well uh, and I really liked what they were doing and I um, like I like the whole ethos of it. It wasn't that we took anything like you know recipe wise around like that from there. But um, it was the whole idea of how to run a kitchen with this, such a haphazard sort of a sourcing system, you know. So it wasn't like they don't really bring suppliers and get them to drop stuff in. There was a lot of like suppliers just dropping in ad hoc and dealing with local farmers and stuff like that. And that sort of appealed to me as well. The kind of um, community aspect of it, you know.
1: They're big into forage and also, aren't they? Yeah. Well,
4: that was a thing that the the media kind of latched onto as well. I mean. What Noma did was uh, create a community more so, and um, uh, you know, highlight uh, Scandinavian cuisine, which which didn't really exist at the time. But it really, um, I suppose, concreted the idea of uh, using local farmers and uh, cutting out middlemen and stuff like that. That's what I really got out of it. Like, and I suppose the foraging thing people kind of latched on that because it was unusual. But it's not really that unusual, really, at the end of the day.
1: But I've been told, and I don't know if this is true or not, that you're not a foraging
4: fam. Uh, no, I mean I like I don't like the term. It's just, just this is term I find is a bit, oh uh, funny. If there's any fad, you know, um, fads kind of get on my nerves. I enjoy uh, foraging, I suppose. You know, and I enjoy the idea of like identifying plants. I've always been into. Uh, um, identifying plants. I grew up in Calvin. Um I we spend all my time in the woods. Uh, my dad is a horticulturalist My brother's a horticulturist, and as a result of that, I, I was been interested in like you know, um, just uh, wildlife and, uh, and flora and fauna, you know. Um, but that, with this whole like fad of foraging came up, and there's a lot of people that had very little knowledge and looking at things in a, in for for what I thought was kind of the wrong way, you know. It was um, identifying plants that can be eaten, as opposed to the whole beauty of identifying families of plants, which I find much more interesting.
1: And is that something then that you incorporate into the menu here in Loam? Can yeah. you tell us a bit about the sort of dishes that you serve here?
4: Um, so what we do here is um, we work. It was very much vegetable-driven and plant-driven. Um, like proteins wouldn't have as uh, centre stage as a lot of other like. Uh, fine dining restaurants. Um, we work closely. We have one farm, Relief uh, and Root, run by two friends of mine, fertile and Manu, uh, and they supply pretty much 80% of our vegetables. So they have, like, I suppose, a bit of a two acre plot that they grow vegetables on, um, but they supply us pretty much all year round, like, you know, and we have a variety of maybe like, I don't know, 60, 80 types of vegetables, plants, leaves, and stuff like that. And also, um, Wild stuff that they they have a lot of woodland as well, so um, they gather things that we pickle. Um, that we, we like they say, uh, ramsons or uh, spruce tips. We pickle them. We, we, we gather like five to seven kg every year, like, and we'll use them to make vinegars or um, we pickle the like a lot of produce like that that we can use in the winter time to give like a kind of a summer brightness. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, fabulous. Uh, Sounds yeah. great. Yeah.
1: yeah. Where do you take your inspiration from? Are the seasons very important to you?
4: Um, so, like, it's been kind of said so many times, but um, we, as much as we possibly can, uh, yeah, I mean, as much as we possibly can, we uh, only use ingredients that are from Ireland, or as much as, possible, as we possibly can the West Ireland. And um, like we only, this is the, the, the whole idea of having the one farm is that we limit influences that we have of, uh, for dishes you know so we limit the amount of uh, things we can use so we have to force ourselves to be a bit more creative like you know um, so like we create a dish around a carrot we're trying to get different textures of the uh, carrot which might sound a bit overworked it also has to be very organic as well like you know it can't seem completely overworked um,
1: and it's usually a, or is it always a tasting menu that you do so it's so many courses
4: yeah, so we offer, um, during the week, we offer a three-course a la carte menu, which is like you know two starters, two main courses, and a dessert. And we also offer a seven-course menu and a nine-course menu. And at the weekends, we try to offer a tasting menu only. Like we, we do a la carte by request, like, but a tasting menu only, because... The majority of people have been coming here just for a tasting menu anyway. Because that's kind of highlights what we do best, you know.
1: And I think it's something that is associated with fine dining, is a tasting menu. And what I have said before in the show here, what I love about tasting menus is it forces you to taste something that you might not have tasted before. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And whenever it is, like, small dishes but there's lots of them. Yeah. Then if you do come across something that you don't like, you're not committed to it for yeah. a whole large yeah, dish. And absolutely. I think that's really great for yeah. for your palate. And it's
4: for kind of like, it's a special occasion thing as well. Like, you know, also try wines that you wouldn't necessarily try before either, you know. But um, the big thing for me is that um, it controls our wastage so much that uh, it keeps our margins very tight. And um, it means that the customer's getting more value for money as well because they're getting... Uh, so more than they normally would because we have a bit more room to play then you know and um, and also the whole idea of not having any is either and um, we're kind of committed to having as close to zero waste here as possible you know so we recycle everything a lot of the like non uh, meat compostables go back to the farm the rest gets uh, composted with like a industrial composter and um, we recycle all of our Plastics, vacuum uh, bags, you know, pastry pouches, and everything like that. You know, so
1: yeah. so sustainability is very important. Yeah, I think
4: for everybody, it's a like it's a key issue that people should be a bit more aware of. Like you know, that, um, especially in the restaurant industry, because there's an awful lot of waste, especially with food waste in the restaurant industry. Restaurants, any sort of food industry, um, it's food waste is a huge thing that needs to be kind of uh, addressed.
1: You got your Michelin star when you were open here ten months. Yeah. Was that something that you were striving for and aiming for, or did it just happen through the nature of the food that you do?
4: Um, like I guess it's really it's like it's easy for me to say that you know this isn't something that we were striving for. We've achieved it before, so I like we, I suppose we knew what direction we wanted to take the food anyway. Like, but it wasn't that we were doing anything kind of like um, out of the ordinary that we normally do. Um, it was a surprise to get the star so early uh, in the lifetime of this restaurant but uh, and how
1: did you feel when you got the news that you'd got the star oh, great <laughs> yeah
4: um, it's you know it's great to get recognition for like hard work you know it's like uh, it's great to get positive recognition for hard work it doesn't happen that often like you know
1: and are awards important to you just because of that and also because of the PR
4: aspect well, I mean, of from it from point of view um, which is what running a restaurant is all about. I mean, you have to make money, you have to do more than just wash his face. Um, And we're in a kind of an unusual area up here. Um, So I mean, it definitely drove traffic to us that we needed to get driven to so I mean it's been great you know
1: and I want to ask you about the decor of the restaurant here because sometimes I think people associate Michelin restaurants with a very traditional type environment with linen tablecloths and linen napkins I think a lot of restaurants have moved away from that and if you're used to dining in a Michelin star restaurant you can see there's lots of diverse environments but this is quite an industrial environment
4: um, I suppose it is. It's like it is what it is. We we took a space that was uh, intended for something else. It was supposed to be a supermarket, and um, we like you know uh, shoehorned a restaurant into it. So it was always bound to be a bit industrial. Like I mean, it's, uh, it's its appearance or its aesthetic is driven by the things that we like. You know, it's nice and tactile. It's all timber. Also, it's been driven by budget as well. So I mean, um, there's no we haven't got like a, a drop down ceiling or anything like that. Um, but it's I like just it. it's ex- an exposed. Yeah, 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 but it's bare, powder, and it's nice, it's got the building itself has it's got good bones. I mean at some point I'm hiding any of these things, you know. It's uh it's a big space. Um but uh, I think we've like uh, made a nice sort of comfortable space
1: uh, well, I think that's the important aspect yeah. of it the, the comfort it's multifunctional
4: as well because yeah. um, all these dividers up and down the restaurant are modular so what I wanted was everything has to be movable because the space has to be multifunctional it has to be like static you know so like we host gigs in here as well we have um, music gigs in conjunction with Roche and Dove maybe every two months or so and um, we have like uh, different events in here like uh, talks about uh, the community and sustainability and uh, farming and beekeeping and stuff like that
1: you know so. so it's very multifunctional then yeah that
4: was important for us to have a multifunctional space it isn't just a restaurant you know
1: now you turned 40 this year which yeah. is usually a big occasion in most people's lives and you've achieved an awful lot by such a young age <laughs> what are your hopes and your vision for the future professionally and for the restaurant here
4: um no matter how many times i get asked that question uh i, I never <laughs> uh kind of a succinct answer, um, we're going to carry on what we're doing, We, we like we've, all we had was like a business plan you know and uh, we kind of stuck to our business plan of like you know keep the business open so um, we're going to like what we do in the restaurant creatively and um, we try to Constantly coming new dishes with the same ingredients and trying not repeat ourselves like too much, and that's what we've been doing so far. And um, we've been working on, you know, front of house, uh, give a better front of house offering. Um, to, we would be very interested. Like we're looking to maybe buy some land to uh, kind of like supply more of vegetables and possibly meat ourselves as well. That would be something we'd like to look into in the future. Um, yeah, maybe some other projects that may or may not happen. You know, but keep on trucking us I suppose. we'll
1: belated it happy 40th birthday uh, and it was a few months though. ago you were a St. Patrick's <laughs> Day man and congratulations on your success today. It. and I hope it continues well thanks into the that. future <laughs> thanks
0: very much cheers chin chin salut schleinter
1: And that was Enda McAvoy from the Michelin One Star Loam in Galway, where you can enjoy one of the finest dining experiences in Ireland. Now, before we finish up tonight, I want to bring your attention to an event taking place this November. It focuses on branding for food businesses. And I met Trish O'Sullivan from Innovate Limerick recently to get all the details. Bon appétit. Yummy.
3: Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm.
1: Trisha, it's great to see you again. All is lying with the Limerick Food Strategy and you have a very exciting event coming up in November.
5: Yes, Sharon, I have a course on the 7th of November in the Red Door Gallery here in Newcastle West, and it's how to build and grow my food brand. Um, the course is open to any food business, so um, be one a producer or a distributor, a hotel, restaurant, cafe or bar owner. Um, or as I said, any food business. Um, We invite everyone along on the day. Um, The course is going to cover topics including the importance of branding, understanding your brand, the design process and brand building.
1: So a company or a business that is established for a number of years might think that this does not apply to them. But in fact, it might be time to have a think about having a rebrand or you might be bringing out a new product. So there would be lots of content there that could be of use to them.
5: Yes, definitely, for sure. Um, As we know, branding is an integral part of any business um, and you can't really stay stagnant. You've always got to look at your brand and how you can improve it and develop it and I suppose change it to um, get new customers or address your existing customers' needs. Um, a good example actually is on Monday, we had a seminar in Limerick um, where we had a guest speaker, Siobhan Lawless from the Foods of Atham Rye. And Siobhan has been in business um, for almost 20 years and spoke about how she has reinvented her brand numerous times and has made it uh, a priority to look at her brand every couple of years to see if it's still relevant in the marketplace, to see how it compares with competitors, but also, more importantly perhaps, to see how it works for her customers. her customers still relating to her brand um, and does the logo and the image that her brand is portraying actually fit with what her products are delivering to her customers. So I would very much encourage people who already have a well-established brand to attend as well as people who are maybe just starting out on their food journey and maybe still in the very early days of considering, you know, what their brand and what their identity should be, the course really will, um, you know, cover something for everybody. It is only a one-day course, but it'll definitely be an introduction to the whole branding process. Um, James Burke and Associates um, from Dublin are coming down to give the course, and there'll be two guest speakers on the day. Um, One from a local um, brand development agency and the second then from a food business who has a well-established, well-recognised brand and um, they will take us through how they have created and developed their brand. So I think it would be a very interesting day.
1: I think using Siobhan Lawless's company, the Foods of Athenarai in County Galway, as an example is a great one because her brand has very much evolved over the time and evolve is the word to describe it. It hasn't changed drastically. It's gone through this gradual change that the brand is still very recognisable, but it's newer and fresher the way that they've worked at it. So it's not necessarily reinventing the wheel
5: exactly because i think sometimes companies can be very fearful when they hear of rebranding or changing the brand or the in particular the logo maybe or the image that's on your packaging people can get very attached to that and rightly so um but it's it's not about changing anything drastically it's just about maybe making it a little bit more relevant to your customers so for example you could have a very um a lovely image of say your uh, facility where you're producing your product and it may be a lovely photo but the photo could be from 50 years ago and maybe it's just a case of maybe looking at something else in the rest of your pack that might be actually more relevant to the customer and highlighting that more but still keeping your photo but maybe that it takes more a step back from what it is currently on your packaging. So again, I would just encourage people not to be frightened at the thought of rebranding. It's it's not about losing your identity. It's just about maybe peaking it and tweaking it to what the customer wants to see on the pack.
1: And sometimes it takes that fresh pair of eyes from outside your business and outside of your family to look at this and really add that bit of that bit of to it.
5: Definitely, I totally agree. Um, I think we, we, no matter what business we're in, we can all get very blind by what we're doing in our day-to-day basis. Sometimes it takes someone externally just to point out something that can often be very obvious. Um, so I definitely think the course will really um, provide an opportunity to, for others to look at your brand um, and for you to maybe look at your brand in a new light as well. Um, so yeah, I think it'll be very beneficial to anyone, as I said, whether you're an established food business or just starting out on your food journey, I think there'll be something there, a takeaway from everyone from the day.
1: We must talk a bit about the venue for the course because it's very exciting to see courses like this taking place outside of the city and you're bringing it to Newcastle West and County Limerick.
5: Yes, so the course is going to be in the Red Door Gallery in Newcastle West. and The Red Door, um, for those of you who don't know, is a business centre here in the square in Newcastle West. Um, and it provides co-working and hot desking desks um, for any business but we have seen um, some food businesses when they're say coming in to town and to do business or have meetings using the red door just for the day Um, and it's open to, as I said, any business. They can take a desk for a day or on a monthly basis. There's also a meeting room, which can be, again, hired by the hour or by the day. So it really does um, have a number of different facilities for food businesses. For people say who are working, um, maybe from home, or also maybe working further out, remotely, out in the countryside, and maybe need to come into town for the fibre broadband or to do other business.
1: And what I've also found is that often you'd get people travelling from Dublin down to maybe Kerry, and they're passing through Newcastle West, and they'd come into the town here and use the hot desk and use the really it's fantastic broadband. That exactly.
5: You have. Yeah, the the high speed fibre broadband really is a major selling point. Uh, And also it's such a central location and as you rightly pointed out, it it really is the ideal location for say meetings between Dublin and Kerry or Cork and Limerick or Clare, Um, it's it's almost like a halfway point and it's just off the N21 um, and you're right in the heart of town so it really is a great location.
1: If people want to find out more about the course first, where's the best place for them to go to? Yeah,
5: so if they go to um, www.localenterprise.ie forward slash Nimerick and you can register online for the course. So it's 50 euro um, fee for the day, which is great value. Um, And then for more information on the Red Door, you can check it out um, www.newcastlewest.org or um, the Facebook page.
1: Sounds like a great, a great day. Lots to be learned, and obviously branding is hugely important in anybody's business. So best of luck with it, and thanks for telling me about it today. Thanks, and Thanks for having me on.
0: Bon appetit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm.
1: And that brings us to the end of tonight's Best Possible Taste. Thanks so much for tuning in and I hope you enjoyed it. And thanks to my guests, Rachel Gaffney, Vincenzo, Enda McAvoy and Trish O'Sullivan. You heard Vincenzo talk about the Pigtown events there. Will they continue throughout September and October? Check out pigtown.ie for all the details. And this Saturday, I am delighted to be doing a food tour in Newcastle West. If you're interested in coming along on that, check out my website, SharonNoonan.com on details about what's involved and how to book. And until next week, bon appétit.
0: Thanks for listening to The Best Possible Taste with Sharon Noonan. Sponsored by thetaste.ie. Voted Ireland's best online food and drink magazine. To get in touch with The Best Possible Taste, email Sharon at SharonNoonan.com or tweet Sharon at Queen of Org, As in, Queen of Organisation. Bon appétit.